0: Welcome back. Friday, July 14th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. 508-0960 is your key to uh, join the conversation. I got Bill to my right. I got David Dahl, my producer, to my west. Bill to my north and you're to my west. Isn't that right? Yes. North by Northwest. Have you seen that movie?
1: Of course.
0: But you haven't seen Jaws. No. And you haven't seen other movies like The In-Laws that we have discussed. We know what you're doing this weekend. We'll come come back to that. I received a lot of requests and feedback from my monologue yesterday, reciting some indicia of the immoderacy of the Democratic Party. The typical conventional, easy-to-trip-off-the-tongue line of, well, almost everyone— Is that the Republican Party is either extreme or out of sync with its history or in severe departure from its origins? My thesis is, is exactly the opposite. So, a slightly more expansive version of what I said yesterday per request the Democratic Party is not the party of moderacy, it's not the party of moderation. Just look at the response from teachers' unions, for example, to the kinds of things Ron DeSantis was doing in Florida with regard to deracializing and desexualizing the schools. Look at the response from the White House press secretary and the vice president and the governor of California. They all called DeSantis a racist, a white supremacist, a denier of black history, a grand censor. This for removing child porn from early elementary grades and race-baiting and race-shaming books from early elementary grades. The shame should be on the left for pushing and foisting this junk and filth on children. They tried to shame our side for protecting children. Look at the entire warp and woof of the Democratic Party and how it denied and then defended the censorship of scholarship they disagreed with on everything from COVID policies to investigating scandals involving the Biden family. They censored not only social media posts, they censored newspapers and they justified it and they did it under pressure and coercion from the government as if Joe McCarthy were the head of the FBI. Look at how Joe Biden called the Republican Party the party of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis and George Wallace. Look at how the chairman of the DNC called Republicans the party of fascism and fear several times. Look at how we were called the party of Jim Crow 2.0. These are not the rantings and excesses of the fringe or for the fringe. These are verbal fusillades from the highest ranks that emanate from the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And at some point, it is going to have to be recognized that the mainstream of the Democratic Party is not mainstream, but extreme. Or that the force of liberalism is so strong now that it has shifted the mainstream from, say, the ethos of magazines like Time and Newsweek to a new set point close to Mother Jones and the nation. Joe Biden likes to speak of today's Republican Party as not being your father's or grandfather's Republican Party. And as I was saying yesterday, he's wrong. It may not be the party of Gerald Ford, or Arlen Specter, or Nelson Rockefeller, or Dwight Eisenhower, or Richard Nixon, but those elements and members of the party were always the real outliers of the party. Our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfather's party is the party of Abraham Lincoln, Calvin Coolidge, Barry Goldwater, and Ronald Reagan. and. Among that great furling ribbon is a consistency that, with the necessary changes, hewed to the same philosophical precepts the main of the party does today. I think it's important to ask about William Buckley here. For those who say they miss him, which is darn near everyone— Do they know or remember that he was the driving force for Barry Goldwater to upset the apple carts against Eisenhower Nixonism in the 1960s, pushing his run, Goldwater's run for president, to turn those tables in the temple over? Do they know he supported a conservative challenge to the incumbent president Richard Nixon in 1972? Do they know he ran against the establishment of the Republican Party for the mayor's office in New York against the great Republican dream and hope John Lindsay? Who, I ask, though, better represents the tradition of conservatism as the Republican Part- and the Republican Party today, the Romneys or memories of the Rockefellers and Eisenhowers and Nixons and Lindsay's, or the Buckleys and the Goldwaters and the Reagans and what they stood for, which was standing against that whole first cohort? The Buckley-Goldwater-Reagan movement stood for natural rights in the American dream. It did not and does not, like today's Democratic Party, offer separate national anthems, support those who take a knee for the original national anthem, refuse to pledge allegiance or hoist an American flag. It does not, like today's Democratic Party, host Fourth of July parties that are titled F the Fourth. Today's Democratic Party has a governor in Arizona that has called Republicans white nationalists and neo-Nazis, while that governor has arrogated power to herself from other constitutional offices, bypassing the legislature by dint of mere executive order. The Democratic Party is a party that turns a blind eye and deaf ear toward rioting, and even hosts and boasts of a vice president who encouraged such rioting and helped fund the bailing out of those violent rioters. It is a party that nominates and defends justices to the Supreme Court who cannot and will not answer the question, What is a woman? It is a party that supports efforts to encourage children to physically change their biological sex and that supports concealing those efforts from their parents. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes 1776 was not our founding date and that slavery is our national origin and not freedom and not equality. It is a party that believes people should be judged for the most sublime of positions and privileges based on human beings' beings most crude of characteristics, their race, rather than their most refined and human characteristics like their ability and their morality and their mere humaneness. It is a party that supports the legalization of dangerous drugs and the encouragement to use them under the notion of safety rather than try to help addicts or support prevention so as to try to stop this scourge that enslaves their souls and destroys their minds in the first place. It is a party that thinks it just fine to teach five-year-olds to think and act out sexually with age-inappropriate lessons and behaviors, and that's all considered mainstream? It's a party that believes it's okay for men to compete in women's sports and at every age for men to enter and use women's bathrooms and shower and locker rooms. It's a party whose president spent an hour and a half one on one with one of the most absurdly ridiculous transgender women and social media phenoms while saying he didn't have time to visit devastated cities in America like East Palestine or the border due to other important demands on his time. It's a party that hosts strip cheese shows on the White House lawn for the 4th of July and remains disinterested in the extreme that cocaine was found near the Situation Room of the White House. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to shovel hundreds of billions of dollars to the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world, while it is also a party that thinks we should have another official carbon copy of Iran or Syria in Gaza and the West Bank, while stripping the rights and power of the United States's greatest ally in the Middle East, an ally that is as close to the United States in political and civil rights and freedom and foreign policy outlook as can possibly exist anywhere in the world. It is a party that wants to boycott travel and finances to that same same country. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to secure other nations' borders with weapons, personnel, and taxpayer expense but does not want to protect its own border. It's a party that wants to strip First and Second Amendment rights from Americans, but wants to elevate beyond any limit Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendment rights to violent criminals. It's a party true to its origins that believes states and municipalities can nullify federal laws they don't like. It's a party that wants gates fences and armed security for itself in leafy and expensive suburbs but does not want other americans to have those same barriers and mechanisms of security and self-defense for themselves Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to give and has given voting rights to non-citizens. It is a party that believes American citizens must be mandated to take experimental vaccines multiple times to enter the country or for children to go to school or engage in social activities, even when children are not at noticeable risk for ill health or mortality from the very thing the vaccine is meant to prevent or mitigate. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes it should pay people not to work and tax people to pay for the college education of others not related or even known to them. It is a party that tries to conceal the goings on at school board meetings and curricula debates and discussions and will weaponize the FBI to put the fear of prosecution and surveillance onto those who want to exercise their First Amendment and federally protected and parental rights at those meetings. It is a party that says parents have no right to direct their children's education when they are in public schools, that the children belong to the state. Is that moderate? You bet it is, if you live in Cuba or Beijing. Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes human life at seven and eight and nine months can be sliced to death, depending on the whim or choice of someone else. It is a party that denounces the notion of American greatness as some kind of unheard dog whistle while insisting that it does not believe there is anything special or great or exceptional about America. Today's Democratic Party is a party that does not believe that we are one country with one constitution constituating ourselves as one people, and yet we're supposed to be the extreme ones? We aren't. They are. Let's never forget it. And let's take our moderation and pursue justice, as Barry Goldwater put it even as he was being called extreme once, too. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 960 Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 960 John is in downtown Phoenix. Hello, downtown John. Uh-huh. Hello, Seth. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you?
1: Hey, hey I'm doing good. Thanks. And uh, I would like to start this by saying every once in a while you say that young David is slipping. And I agree that young David is slipping just a little bit because on the bumper music, for example, today, why, why or yesterday, why will I not hear white lines or behind closed doors or cocaine?
0: You will hear Behind Closed Doors as part of our regular bumper music.
1: That's right. I know that.
0: That is part of it. Uh, You will not, Charlie Rich, right? You will not hear uh, songs that make fun of a deadly and dangerous drug.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, So I I will not hear... Yeah, no, one of my
0: complaints is that I think too much of the media on this story has made too much of a mockery of a very deadly, serious thing.
1: I'm in. I'm in full agreement with you. I Tens of thousands of Americans
0: die from cocaine, and the White House is uninterested that it ended up in the near the Situation Room. This is. I'm in, in
1: full, ag- yeah. full agreement yeah. with you. This yeah. is this is disgusting again. Yeah. Again, yeah. what if it were Trump? What if it were Trump? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Huh? They, yeah. They, they they would have they would have put all forces on it. But anyhow, yeah. um, Okay. The the one thing good answer I wanted,
0: though, right? That that satisfied your answer. We, uh, two, one out of three ain't bad, right? We got one of your songs in our regular rotation, and you
1: you stood okay. up for young All David, right. so All right. he's not. So young David is not. Slipping. No, he's, he okay. didn't slip on
0: those. Okay, good.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll also, you know,
0: I'll give him another piece of credit. He often will go rogue on music and, you know, think that I want a song that I sometimes do and sometimes don't that I don't think of. He'll, he'll just, you know, better—his philosophy is better ask for, for forgiveness than for permission. He didn't even suggest those cocaine songs. All credit who to him. Did, who
1: did the song White Lines? I don't even recall who did that I in don't
0: the even, 80s. I can't even think of it right now.
1: Anyhow, uh, okay. Before I want to lead into Obama and ask okay. you a few things there, yep. and share a few things with the audience. But yep. uh, anyhow, the, uh, the first thing I want to mention is: Do you recall when John Kerry was at Davos and the, the ridiculous how he started off one of his speeches, little speeches?
0: Well, I he said I something
1: don't... to the extent of, "We select <laughs> group of human beings." Okay. Extremely Okay. <laughs> we are here to talk about saving the planet. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. It's
1: extraterrestrial.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. I do. I talk Something, about something rings a bell. This would have been earlier this year, the beginning of this year maybe, something like that? Yeah, that, that was yeah.
1: 11 months ago. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yep, but I mean, that, that's uh, that I wanted to use to lead into, because I want to talk about Obama, because he's another progressive, progressive. Okay. Th- these are progressive elites, you know, who... Who are so much kings and queens and better than all the, all the rest. Yeah. Um, now Obama. M- many of us, and I don't know about you, Seth. Uh, You've mentioned. I mean, I've heard you a little bits, of, little bits of it. But many of us think that Obama, of course, is a major player behind the scenes, yeah. and obviously, much of his administration is still behind is with the with the Joe Biden. yeah And you know, you're always talking about the. You know, the craziness of the, you know, the sexuality thing going on yep. in the world and the Orwellian thing. Yeah. And I'm in agreement with you. I mean, this is just so surreal and just so bad. Now, I've read a couple of books, one book in particular on Obama, and I've researched some other things about Obama. And now he's got some really interesting things running through his, his developmental lineage, Um now, you, you are aware of his thing with this Frank Marshall Davis, correct? Yes. His radical yes. communist right. mentor. Right. Who was supposedly sort of weirdly sexual, bisexual, and a libertine a bit?
0: I didn't know that, but I'll take your word for it.
1: Yep, yep. He, he was. Okay. Uh, so, so, so that's very interesting there. And he found Obama very impressionable. Um, now, we, and we know about Obama's thing with Ayers. We know about Obama's thing with Farrakhan. We know about Obama's thing with Jeremiah Wright. Yep. It's like this is is all like just negative, extreme, extreme, negative, foul communism, you know, and hatred. Yep. And then now, were you aware that Michelle Obama was best friends like throughout high school with Reverend Jesse Jackson's daughter? No. Yes. Okay, well, she was according to the book that I had read. So there's another line in there in regards to uh, Obama. Were you aware aware that that in like 2007, this guy who Obama supposedly had some form of a relationship with, now I don't want to go straight uh, because some liberals have said that it is uh, conspiracy theory, but others have uh, said that there's something to this. There was this guy named Don Young who was like a choir director with uh, Jeremiah Wright at Trinity Church, who supposedly, or there were well, pretty strong rumors that Obama was having a sexual relationship. I, yeah, I don't
0: know anything about that. I'll be honest with you, John. I have heard uh, and seen efforts to murdered, paint—
1: that t- Murdered um, in two thousand. Yeah, I don't know
0: anything about it. I, I will say that I think what you outline, uh, outlined— from his uh, being mentored by Frank Marshall Davis uh, right. to his uh, efforts with Farrakhan and Jeremiah Wright it 's indictment right. enough uh, you know you listen to the to the to the to the words the speeches the teachings of just those guys on their own merits, and it 's frightening enough i um you know and 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 he got away with a lot on that, by the way, he was given a big uh-huh. pass on all that stuff uh-huh. and uh-huh. you know it was I remember he had at one point gotten to a it had gotten to a point where he had to in the uh o seven o eight campaign had to denounce Jeremiah Wright. Uh-huh. I think he went to the Constitution Center in Philadelphia to do it if memory serves and I was doing a lot of research on Jeremiah Wright at the time, and one of the things. Obama said that was a lie was he kn- that's not- the video footage that Sean Hannity had made so popular of Jeremiah Wright. He said that's not the Jeremiah Wright he knew. The Jeremiah Wright he knew was, uh, you know, just a calm, decent, uh, uh, run of the mill pastor. And then I discovered a Rolling Stone article many months before that where Barack Obama told Jeremiah Wright he wasn't invited to his presidential announcement. Because he said you get a little hot. He lied the whole time about Jeremiah Wright. He lied the whole. What am I missing? Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a, there 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 There's your Charlie Rich. <laughs> there's your Charlie there, Rich. There okay. it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we need to even go into the other scandals. And frankly, they. I'm just not that interested. I don't think it means that much. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We've been talking a lot about education a lot lately. We've been talking about literature for children and how we bring up our children, how we train them, how they're raised. We've been talking about reading, and there was that interesting survey we remember discussed about a week and a half ago that showed that children even reading on their own in their their non-assigned book time, in their non-assigned homework time, has uh, been reduced, has shrunk to actually very worrying levels. A mutual friend of um, Bethany Mandel's and mine is one Kiri Jorgensen, who is in town actually for a conference. She is the founder of Chicken Scratch Books, which is, um, as they say, their only agenda is good literature – For children, and uh, I couldn't wait to get her on, especially since it's a local call, like that matters anymore, I guess. Kiri, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Seth.
0: You betcha. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, a first time guest, uh, any autobiography you want, and how you came to be doing what you're doing, and what it is that you are doing.
2: Okay, great. Yes. I am um, a teacher at heart, I am someone who has spent my life working with children. I taught in public schools as well as private schools, as well as raising my own four children. Um, I've also been a writer my whole life. I've been writing children's fiction for many, many decades, and for a long, long time. It's it's a passion of mine. As part of that combination of being a teacher and then as a writer, I was heavily involved in the children's book writing world Um, as a freelance editor as well as I was in leadership with some organizations for children's writers, and I and I started to see a very disturbing trend. It, I mean, it's it started 25 years ago, and just gradually at, at that time I would just roll my eyes, and then as the years progressed, and then especially in the last three years, it became very alarming. What was what's happening in the children's book publishing industry? Essentially, it's evolved into a behemoth. The entire industry, every angle of it of liberal thought that is, has that is become very savvy at indoctrinating our children very quietly and subtly through the books that they are reading. Mm-hmm. And this was very alarming to me. And so my husband and I had many discussions. We looked at each other and we said, somebody needs to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to do something about this, Kiri. And mm-hmm. so, so here I am. I started Chicken Scratch Books in 2020. Um, we love what we're doing. I love working with authors. I love the opportunity to get good, good books into kids' hands because, oh my goodness, there's such a need for that right now.
0: Yeah, let me give the website out for our audience: chickenscratchbooks.com. chickenscratchbooks.com. How'd you come up with that title for for the for the episode? Oh, that's
2: a, the, people ask me that, and I just laugh. There really isn't a story. Okay, my husband yeah. came <laughs> up with the, Sometimes it. Sometimes it is with what it some
0: is. <laughs> Sometimes it just is. Yeah. <laughs> it
2: is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we do have chickens. I'm yeah. from Montana. Oh, okay. And we have we live in a rural place, and we do have chickens. And chi- you know, chicken scratch means writing, and yes, so of just, course. it just kind of became what it is, and it works great for a kids for a kids publishing company. I think
0: I want to talk more about it um, with you. Uh, so let's do that, and then I want to talk to you about the uh, the presentation you're giving in Arizona today on uh titled navigating the Tren- trenches of modern children's literature. First of all, um so the books you publish uh these are books by new authors, right? Or these are new books by younger uh, authors that uh that we're not talking about Make Way for Ducklings, we're not talking James and the Giant Peach, right?
2: Um we we are talking books. I work with with all different authors from yep. all over all over North America. Okay. Our our books are middle grade novels, I and what you. that means is it's the it's the first the first dive for kids that are good readers, but it's their first introduction to a full novel with all of the themes and oh, the wow. deeper deeper growth that the character goes through, and subplots and more complex storylines. Mm-hmm. And so, it's really the first time that kids get to dive deeply into what a novel is and what it can be. If you're thinking and what it's a very age? Powerful group? age.
0: Yeah. What age group um, would about, you say you're starting? Yeah.
2: Yes yeah, so middle grade is for kids about ages nine yep. through 13 or 14. So maybe fourth grade through eighth grade uh-huh. right in that those middle age, middle grade is where that
0: is. Well, I'll tell you, I think there is a major thirst for this. You're probably already seeing that with your success only being about two and a half, three years old. There's a thirst for it because, you know, young kids do love the magic of Once Upon a Time. They love stories. I've got to take a quick break. Can you stay with me for a longer segment? This was a short one. Can you hang, hang with us a little bit, Carrie?
2: Yes, I will hang
0: with you. Thank you very much. Keri Jorgensen is our guest, and her uh, her organization, Chicken Scratch Books. Our only agenda is good literature. Chicken dot com. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Keri Jorgensen is our guest. She is the founder of Chicken. Scratch books, our only agenda is good literature. It's a great website. Uh, if you are looking for uh, great literature for young readers um, this is this is the website for you and this is a great public publisher for you. Kiri, um I was just talking about you know the sad the sad thing I was seeing in some reports last week or two in a study that came out showing that uh, children are now reading less and less recreationally than ever before, where there's been a steep decline in children's interest in reading. When I reported that, you know, it was an interesting thing. I reported on this show, Kiri, and I got a lot of feedback from listeners saying, you know, when I was a kid, a punishment would be that I couldn't read. We've really, we've really turned yes. interest in great stories and storytelling and literature on its head in this country, haven't we? And is it because there's so yes. much junk out there? Is it because there's so much propaganda out there, or is it what is it? Is it because of attention spans? Maybe it's a little bit of all of that.
2: I, I believe it's a little bit of all of that. I, I definitely think that part of it has to do with so much of the of the of the literature that's being published for kids, especially this middle grade age, yeah. where, where all these statistics are from. Yeah. So much of the literature being produced for these kids is based on what the adults want them to read, exactly. not what they actually want to read. They mm-hmm. want to read good, fun stories that are adventurous and filled with with things that they can relate to and understand. And I, I feel like that's part of it.
0: I think that's uh, a big part of it. Definitely. No.
2: I do, too. I, you know, so many of the books that are that are winning awards and in the in the children's literature world, are I always just always question? Would a kid actually read that? Right. The people giving the awards are adults. Right. You know, they. It, it's exactly what the adults are wanting the kids to read. Right. It's not what the kids want. And it's a. That, it's it's a, a lot about foisting adult.
0: Yeah, and foisting adult interests on kids' interests is a polite yes. word for it. Yeah. And
2: and adult terminology yes, and adult right. adult understandings right. onto kids yeah. when they're really truly not. They don't want it. That's they're right. not prepared for it and, right. it. and it doesn't resonate with them.
0: So I wrote a I wrote a children's book about a young girl that gets a goat. Should I bring it to you?
2: Sure. Okay. We are open to submissions. All right. Good. <laughs> All right. Good. I've never
0: published it. I'll, I'll, I'd love to send it to you. Um, talk to me about this conference you're at here in Phoenix, where you're giving a presentation, navigating the trenches of modern children's literature. I'm presuming you're addressing parents and what they need to know. Tell tell. Give us a little pressy of of what you're saying here.
2: Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you. I, I am at the Arizona Families for Home Education conference here in Phoenix. Um, a great, big, wonderful group of homeschool parents, homeschool families, and so I'm directly talking to, in my presentation. I talk to the, I talk to these parents about what's happening in the children's book industry. So many parents are are very, um, they they just don't understand from the inside what's actually happened, this shifting and changing that's happened within the industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. I put together a writers conference it's been about 8 years ago in my home state of Montana that we brought in some editors from major publishing houses in New York City and we were all excited you know we're all trying to impress these editors as writers and at the end of one of the presentations that an editor editor gave she opened it up for questions and discussions and one of the one of the men that was in our group he he's a leftist himself and he was talking about a book that he had written where the main character realizes that his hero is gay mm-hmm. and he's he's troubled by that and he's and he's frustrated with that and, and eventually by the end of the book he comes to terms with it. And and as this author was explaining his story, this editor stopped him. She said no. She stopped him mid explanation and said, No. We cannot portray any negativity at all related to these social constructs. Mm-hmm. We have to present in children's books an immediate acceptance of of all of these social agendas. There can be no coming to terms with gayness. It has to be immediate acceptance. Mm-hmm. There can be no being troubled by sexual identity. Mm-hmm. It has to be immediate acceptance and shown in positive ways. Mm-hmm. And if you as writers are not willing to write that, you won't get published.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: she directly told us this, and I was shocked. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd been suspecting that that type of shift was happening for a long time, but here was a, a, a major publishing house editor telling us, you have to include it yeah. or you won't get published. And she, the way she described it was we have to present the ideal as, as if it already exists because that's how we're going to teach kids to embrace these social agenda ideals is through the literature that they're reading. Uh, so uh, yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead. I was going to say from that I've, I've come to realize that the subtle way that they're inserting and normalizing these agendas is, is blindsiding many, many parents. And so part of my mission with Chicken mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Scratch Books is to, is to educate parents about what's, what's actually happening behind the scenes in these publishing houses, in these experiences in the publishing world. They are going after our children, yeah. and they're doing it very subtly. Parents don't know that the book contains these things, but it does, and the kids are being normalized as they read these stories. Right in their own homes, it's happening right there.
0: You know, I almost thank you for that story. I almost wonder if there's an affirmative action aspect to this in the publishing industry. You know, we wake up from three years ago. We never heard about books like Lawn Boy. We never heard about the right these kinds of things. We never heard about this vast movement of kids that want to change their sex or want to be on uh, sports teams and go into the bathrooms of a sex that they weren't born to. This is all very, this all came to us like a speeding bullet over the last two, three, four years. And I'm just beginning yeah. to wonder if there's in the publishing industry a conditioning towards that, uh, you know, that may, might in fact be the catalyst for some of this, what we might call social social spread or social contagion, as the experts call it. I'm in sure other words, if you a write a book like yes. that, you have a better chance of getting published than if you don't write a book like that. I guess is what I'm. Trying Absolutely,
2: to say. yes, very much so. That's how the industry is running right now. That's that's how they they have evolved to become that deliberately, mm-hmm. and they and and that is that that, that is the way it is. Yeah. And I, I tell parents in my in my presentation as I'm as I'm talking with them. We can't go, as parents, we cannot go into a bookstore or a library, whether school or public anymore, grab a middle-grade novel off the shelf and expect it to be based in traditional values and be clean and free of social agendas, because it won't be. There, as part of all of this shift, there has been weeding weeding out of libraries as well. They've taken any traditional value books and thrown them away and replaced them with these new books that promote the agendas that they are trying to promote. Yeah, and, Librarians I, and I think are right it's on board. A,
0: yes, no, and it's at the younger readers ages too. Uh, go go to a young reader yes. section of your local bookstore and you will be shocked. Well, I am so glad to make your acquaintance and to have uh, you provide us and our audience with this resource chickenscratchbooks.com, Kiri. Um, stay in touch whenever you see a story that might be relevant to what you guys are up to. I, I, you know Bethany Mandel has never, has never steered me wrong, and she didn't hear. So hopefully this will be a down Thank payment you. for future visits, and enjoy your, enjoy your stay in the desert here while you're here. Thank you so much. You bet. Kiri Jorgensen, Chicken Scratch Books, chickenscratchbooks.com. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Folks, when you think about the bank failures and the stock market's volatility and the speculation of a recession, including the inflation we're going through right now, you ask where can you invest and why ReFi has an answer. They have a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not related to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this investment, it's secure and it's collateralized. And why Refi is local; they're based here, locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I have, I've been there, and you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with them, though, why Refi? You'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a ten point two five percent fixed. Rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34. 888 y 34 I was listening to that Terrific Talkers VIP, um, uh, VIP contest we're doing and uh, reminded me, you can pick me. Um, probably you won't need a f- Flight, <laughs> if you do pick me, but maybe young David cooks for us. Did we straighten out um, – you're a gourmet. Did we straighten out what you're doing for your Sunday barbecue? We had a discussion of it yesterday. Did you pick a protein to put on the grill?
1: I think we, we had talked about beef ribs. But yeah. I think we're steering in a chicken direction. Oh, good. You know, maybe we can uh, sample from both. We'll see. Well, yeah, it's good yeah.
0: that your ch- ch- chicken cooks quicker. Beef ribs
1: would take a few hours. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but maybe something to aspire to
1: definitely definitely It just depends you know maybe maybe i get up at 2 in the morning and put them on the put them on the charcoal no, grill No, but you know a shout out, our, shout out to our will coll-
0: finally be shout out to our colleague terry i walked in today mm-hmm. to see a garden of delights of books on your desk all about grilling what did she bring in three massive three books from gr- yeah.
1: the late 90s early 2000s Great. cookbooks it doesn't matter all all when they were published grilling. this
0: grilling is eternal i mean it's nothing has changed since the stone age when it comes no, to no, grilling no i'm
1: not saying that the material is aged i'm kind Commenting more on the fact that we don't have cookbooks anymore. We have cook internet and searches. Is that and, right? Yeah, you know. I mean, no you more know. joy
0: of cooking? None of that? No,
1: it's all on the phone. I look up whatever. I, you know, Even I do that. I just look up whatever recipes I'm going to do on the phone. Uh, that's a know? shame. Yeah, yeah. That's a shame. No so more I, I Julia have, Child I'm books. Complimentary of the fact that we have actual books here in studio.
0: All right. right, we'll bring leftovers on Monday, would you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I can... Not eat them, but at Not least, them, you know, like smell them yeah, at least know, be jealous about them. Yeah, <laughs> Salivate, exactly. <laughs> be resentful about my diet. All right, folks, don't go away. We have a lot more coming right up. We'll be right back.